0: Hello everyone, welcome to Sandals Church Online. Hey, my name is Morgan and this place, Sandals Church, is all about creating spaces for people to be real with themselves, others, and God. And we love inviting people into this life-changing vision. And we really want to encourage you to invite others to join you here at Sandals Church Online for Easter next weekend. We're going to kick off our service today by worshiping God for who He is and what He has done. This time of worship can be a quiet reflection where you're just sitting down and being present, or it can look a lot more like shouting out to God and dancing. As we worship today, know that God is pleased by both kinds of worship. Just be the real, authentic you as you worship Him. I pray that God meets you right where you're at and in the middle of your circumstances. cool to think that voices all over the country and even internationally are joining in together and singing those words right now alongside you and me hey if you're just now hopping on my name is morgan and i want to let you know that i'm so glad that you're here if this is your first time at sandals church online let us know right now by going to sandalschurch.com slash next and selecting i'm new we would love to reach out and meet you We're all about being real with ourselves, God, and others here at Sandals Church, and that's not just for the adults. We want our kids to experience this vision and incredible life change as well. If you're a parent, take a second to get your kids set up right now at kids.sandalschurch.tv with their weekly service. They'll get to worship with and learn from our incredible kids team, and you can even engage in deeper conversations by downloading the Get Real guides provided on that page. For now, we're gonna prepare our hearts for a message from Pastor Alfredo Ramos. Get ready by downloading the Sandals Church app at sandalschurch.com app and opening those digital sermon notes. Here's Pastor Alfredo.
1: What is good Sandals Church? I am honored to be with you guys today and listen wherever you are at if you're watching from home with family or friends or you're online or through YouTube or maybe even if you're at a Sandals Church location I want you to know it is a gift that we get to be together as a church and worship together and I want to especially shout out Sandals Church Anaheim. You guys get to celebrate today. You are launching today, and so may God's grace and peace be with you. We celebrate with you as you get to be a new church community and bring real hope in Jesus to those around you, and we cannot wait to see all that God does through you guys. And listen, as we start today, we're going to be talking about something that all of us cannot live without, and that is hope. Most people, in fact, almost all of us, are hopeful in something or in someone. In fact, professionals, medical professionals point out that hope is not a luxury in life, it is a necessity for life. We cannot live without hope. And I know many of us, man, even today, like we're hopeful that at some point we will navigate our way out of through this pandemic. We're hopeful in some point that we'll return to what we thought was, was normal life. But honestly, maybe God has got something better than normal for us. But I think even as parents though too, like you, You hope that your kids will have a good life as they grow up. If you're single and you want to be married, at some point you hope to find a spouse. If you uh, are without a job right now, which is very real for a lot of us, you hope at some point to find a job. If you're in a job, you hope next week is better than last week, or you hope to receive a bigger paycheck next week. Um, You you hope to have a a safe home, a comfortable home. If you have friends, you you and I, we, we hope to experience in those relationships love and respect. We are people who cannot live without hope. But at the same time, though, if we're being honest, regardless of our age and our background, all of us at some point have been disappointed in the things that we have hoped for. And so over time, it begins to create this kind of suspicion. We we, we get a little skeptical about hope, especially through hardship. And this is the case with like silly things that we hoped in that didn't come true, or even larger things that were kind of catastrophic in our life and ruined a lot. We kind of keep score about the things that have disappointed in our lives. and I even see this in my own. I can remember back uh, middle school. God bless middle school years. As a seventh grader, I was trying out for the basketball team. And uh, you look at me now, I'm big and tall, so of course, maybe there's a spot for him. Not so in middle school. I was a seventh grader. Uh, I felt like half the school, you know, the boys tried out for this team. And there were three days of tryouts. And I made it through the first two, like 30 people got cut. Came to the last day of tryouts. There's like, I don't know, 14 people out there on the court, you know, doing these drills and stuff. And so I'm thinking to myself as I size everyone up, like, I got a good chance. Because he's going to probably keep 12 people. There's like 13, 14 of us here. So I just got to be like better than the worst person on the court. And I'll probably make a spot, right? I'll make this team. And so tryouts end. I feel good about myself. We're all in the locker room waiting for the coach to print the roster and post it on the wall. And as he does, everyone rushes over there. I scan it. My name is not on the list scan it again not on this and of course i get like the consolation like oh it's okay fredo i made the team but it's okay maybe you next year and i was just defeated just defeated i remember i got picked up by my my mom that day and my sweet mom and she always believed in me she was like well it's their loss you're good <laughs> and we drove home and i'm just like just completely distraught in the As this seventh grade boy i didn't make the basketball team and I remember at some point, for whatever reason, I started to question whether or not like I actually read the list correctly. So I was like, well, maybe I'm on the list. Like maybe my name's actually up there. And I somehow convinced my mom to turn the car around and drive all the way back. We were almost home. We drove 30 minutes back to the school. I somehow made it back in the locker room. And I discovered once again, my name was not on the list. <laughs> so all that worked to be, you know, dumped twice. Like I got cut twice in that moment. And and again, it's somewhat silly, it's somewhat small, but listen, we keep score of our disappointments and it makes us over time skeptical of hope, especially when hardship has hit us. And that's what we're gonna talk through today. How is it that you and I can find hope, especially in the midst of hardship? And so let's read together from Romans chapter five, starting there in verse one. Paul says this, Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character and proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. This is God's word. Would you pray with me? Father, as we gather, we want to acknowledge that you are here with us too. So God, as we hear from your word, would you speak to us from it? Holy Spirit, would you do what you can only do in opening up our minds and our hearts and even our bodies right now in this moment to receive from you. And God, make us people who can hold hope and hardship together as we follow Jesus. We pray these things in his name, amen. You know, the most watched uh, television show over the last few weeks, according to Forbes magazine, was this little show called WandaVision. WandaVision. It's about a Marvel Avenger. Now, if you're not familiar with the show or if you haven't finished it yet, don't worry. I'm not gonna spoil anything for you. But WandaVision is about this uh, hero named Wanda. She's a Marvel Avenger. In fact, she's probably the most powerful Avenger. And I'm not gonna lie to you, it's a strange show. It's kind of weird. When you start watching it, you really don't know what's going on yet, but it's about this character named Wanda. And really, How is she going to deal with her hardships? I mean, she's had successes. You know, they saved the world multiple times, but she has had real hardships, real losses, real deaths. And how is she going to handle it? And like I said, this is the most watched show on television. People tuned in all over the world to figure out what was going to happen next to Wanda. And the reason why I think it, it was so compelling and it got so much attention is because we are somewhat like her. We're trying to figure out how we're going to deal with our hardships. In fact, she struggles, even as the most powerful person probably in the universe, hardships she can't even escape. And she struggles to figure out how she can find hope in the midst of it. And ironically enough, Paul gives us a word as to how that's possible. Look at what he says there in Romans 5.3. Not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions because we know that afflictions produce endurance. Endurance produces proven character, and proven character, as he ends there, produces hope. Here's the first thing I want us to consider, that our faith faith allows us to hold together both hope and hardships. We can hold them both together. Notice the the only real command in this whole passage is right there in verse 3 rejoice in our afflictions. Now, now, what does that mean? I think what that at least means as we begin this discussion is that it's very possible there's enough space for us to be both hopeful and dealing with something incredibly hard. Hope and hardship can actually be friends, not enemies. They can get along. They can coexist. There is space for both to be true. Look at even the words of Jesus from John 16. He says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. For in the world, you will have tribulation. That's a promise from Jesus. Life will be hard. But listen to what he says. But take heart, I have overcome the world. As we follow Jesus, there is enough space in our faith, and it allows us to hold together both hope and hardship. Because notice what he says there. Take heart, I've overcome the world. But that doesn't mean that the tribulation isn't real. And see, that's where we kind of go uh, wrong, I think, is we tend to minimize either our hope or our hardships rather than embracing them both together. It's possible. Faith, as Paul will unpack, makes it possible for us to be incredibly hopeful and at the same time dealing with something incredibly, incredibly hard. Because the words of Jesus tell us that the hard life is the normal life. If, If you are looking for a comfortable road out, that will be the exception to the rule not the rule to the self. The hard life is the normal life, but there is space for both. Now, if that's true, what does it look like then? What does it actually look like to rejoice in our afflictions, to rejoice in our sufferings? Let me at least say what it doesn't look like. Because I think a lot of Christians kind of express it this way, what what I'm kind of calling like a, a stoic faith, right? A stoic, like if you've seen someone that's just got zero emotion on their face. In fact, it's something I'm accused of regularly. Like, what I'm feeling does, doesn't seem to really come out of my face, right? I'm a stoic person. I don't have a lot of emotion. And there are those, I think, who think, you know, when the Bible says to rejoice in our sufferings, that we should just kind of have this, just tough it out, suck it up, don't let it get to you, have faith in God, just, just trust Him, right? And, and we feel kind of good because we haven't betrayed our faith, and, we're, and we think we're rejoicing, and we're not letting anything get to us, but honestly, what you've really done there is just cut yourself off from your emotions, You haven't given yourself permission to be human. And that is not at all the call of Jesus or Paul's invitation when he talks about rejoicing in our afflictions. You see, afflictions, that word there means something that is is pressing you down. It's crushing you. It's a weightiness that is too much for you to bear. And sometimes we feel like, I just got to just toughen out. And you think you're tough, and, 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 but then you wonder why no one comes to you when they have problems. It's because you, you're not. <laughs> you actually haven't really learned what it means to rejoice in suffering. And if I'm being honest with you, this is my natural state as well. And I have this kind of fear that I'm going to betray my faith, or I'm going to come off as weak if I don't let my emotions out at times. And I got to remember that faith allows me the ability to both hold together hope and hardship, and not just kind of have this tough it out, suck-it-up kind of mentality. The second error, though, I think is we have not just a, like a stoic faith, but this kind of smiley face, right? Like, oh, well, just, just get through it. You got this. Always rejoicing, right? Like if someone tells you they've been hurt, well, Jesus says to forgive them or else God won't forgive you. Or if something is just incredibly hard and painful, like you've, you've, you've lost people. Well, Thessalonians, rejoice always. And again, I say Rejoice. No, right truth at the wrong time is always unhelpful. That is not joy. That's not the ability to rejoice. But that is often where we naturally tend to go. What I think Paul is after here in this kind of rejoicing is this kind of stability, this kind of contentment, a kind of inner happiness that is not dependent on my situation and my circumstances around me. And Paul says that this is possible. It's possible to actually have this. But how? How is this possible? A few things. What makes this kind of faith possible, this kind of holding together of both hope and hardship, three things, peace, place, and purpose. First, peace. Notice there from uh, Romans 5, 1 and 2, that God invites me to have peace with Him. That's the first thing that makes this possible. Notice what Paul says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God. He opens this chapter with this word, therefore. In other words, it's it's as if Paul is saying, everything I've been talking about in this whole book from chapters one to four is all here. This is my concluding thought. Because of justification, because of the fact that you have faith and you are now right with God, the point of all of that is that you would experience peace with God. The point of all existence and life is to have peace with God. The the best thing about Christian life and trusting in Jesus is not that you get things from God, but that you get God himself. You get peace with God. Now, this peace in Greek is uh, Irene. It's another way the English name Irene is what we get there, right? But as, as Paul is writing in Greek, peace really isn't so much a Greek concept. It's really a Hebrew one. And we got to remember, before Paul was the apostle, he was a Jewish scholar, he was a teacher. He knew Jewish law, and peace is something that's talked about all throughout the Old Testament. Jewish people, they greet each other with this word, peace. You know, we say things like, hey, what's up, what's going on, what's good, how you doing? They say, shalom, shalom. It's a way for them to greet. It means peace, peace to you. But it's much more than just a greeting. You see, peace is this this deep and rich kind of theological idea that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. If you had to sum up the Garden of Eden before sin entered the world, it would be with this word, peace. Peace is not just the absence of conflict. It's actually the presence of calm. That's what it is. That's what peace is. Peace in the Old Testament is life the way it was always meant to be lived. People define it as a kind of well-being, a kind of tranquility, a kind of harmony, a kind of wholeness. And Paul is saying, your relationship with God has been made whole now through your faith in Jesus. You have peace with him. So I want to ask some of you guys, man, especially those of you who you love Bible doctrine, like you love studying Romans, the most preached on book, the most debated book, right? You know theology, you know definitions. Have you experienced this? Does your great understanding of faith and justification actually lead you to experience peace with God? Because this kind of relational peace is exactly what we need in order to hold on and experience hope in the midst of hardship. We need this kind of peace. And Paul is saying that, man, for for people who have their faith in Jesus, every day and every moment, you are at peace with God. Not because everything around you is great. It's actually the opposite. But in the midst of the loss, in the midst of the death, in the midst of the things that don't make sense to you, you have a wholeness with God, and it's available to you. But not only that, there's a kind of place. Notice what he continues to say in that same verse from Romans 5.2, 5.2, we have also obtained access, take note of that word, access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand. We stand in grace? Like right now we're standing in grace? Paul says, yes. God's grace is not just a gift. God's grace is a place. It's a place. And wherever you are, you are always standing in grace. You are always standing in grace. And I know that we kind of think of grace as like this undeserved, unmerited favor and blessing from God, and it's that, but it's so much more than that. Grace is is this power. Grace is a gift. Grace is a, a kind of presence that God pours out on us. We ask God for grace for this moment. God, give me grace for this thing. And what it is, is him. It's not this kind of magical thing, but he gives us the gift of his presence himself at every single moment. Grace is a place, and you are standing in it if you have your faith in Jesus. And Paul says that's access, access to God at any given moment. You wake up, you are in the presence, standing in grace. You get ready for work, you are standing in grace. You, you deal with your crazy kids, you are standing in grace. You deal with conflict. You're at a funeral, you're at a wedding, you're, you're eating. Whatever it is that you are doing, if you have your faith in Jesus, you are standing in the grace of God and you have access to him. Why? Because your relationship with him is now at peace. You are always with him. Always with him. And this is what is, is, is so amazing about this concept. Because I think one of the most painful aspects about our loss about our hardships, about our afflictions, the thing that weigh us down, is the looming fear that we are doing this alone and that nobody understands. No, no one is with me in this kind of pain. Nobody is with me in this kind of hardship. And Paul is saying, you have obtained access to God and he is with you. Wherever you are, you are in grace because it's a place. It's a relational establishment between you and God, and you always have access to Him. Where you go, He goes too. You know, I remember a number of uh, months ago, uh, I was taking my son to get a haircut. It's something that we love to do. Um, it's, it's a way for me to kind of connect with him, ask him how life is going. I hear about all his new Minecraft stories and everything he's doing. It, it's, it's quite a day. And last fall, it was around Halloween time, I took him to get a haircut, and we're in the barbershop, it's the place we always go, and it's... Of course, it's packed, music is playing, and my son's in the chair getting cut by our Barbara Izzy, and um, he turns his chair at one point to start working on the back of his head, and I had no idea, but Eli was now directed towards the TV, and like I said, it was Halloween time, and what was on the screen was a horror movie. It was the movie Halloween, and I had no idea yet. But it's the scene where Jamie Lee Curtis, like she's running through this house. She's being chased by Michael Myers and he's got a knife and she's just like panicking. She goes in this closet and then he finds her there. And I look at my son and his eyes just start to explode. And I'm freaking out like, oh my gosh, I don't want to show my son this. He's seeing this. What is going on? And I'm not going to lie to you, man. It kind of messed him up. And it messed me up too that, that he had to see that as such a young kid. And over the next several weeks, it was hard for him to travel down the hallways by himself. It was hard for him to go into his room, especially if it was dark, and I asked him to like clean up his toys or put this away, like he just didn't want to do it. And he would say to me, man, like even he didn't want to go get haircuts anymore because he was scared of seeing that movie again. And I was like, man, I just felt like a failure as a dad, honestly. But what he would tell me was this. He would say, dad, go with me. Dad, go with me. And what was amazing is he, he wouldn't ask for like the, the, the lights to be turned on or for him not to have to do it. He just wanted to know that I would go with him when he went in those spots. And I think that is what is so beautiful about our afflictions, realizing that grace is a place and we have peace with God is because God goes with us. He goes with you in your afflictions. And so listen, I would encourage you, man, if, if you're wondering what it looks like for you right now in this moment to begin to have hope as you hold on to what is hard in your life, to begin to pray a simple prayer, God go with me. God meet me here. That, that is probably something I pray more than anything else over the last several weeks, especially over last year, God, meet me in this. God, meet me in this relationship. God, meet me in this email. God, meet me in this conversation. God, meet me in this social media post because I'm feeling all kinds of ways about it. God, would you meet me here? And he is faithful to answer that. Why? Because your faith is in Jesus. And there is peace, there is access, Paul says, to a kind of harmony, a kind of wholeness. Don't miss out on that. But lastly, the last thing that makes this kind of thing possible, for us to hold together both our hope and our hardship, is purpose. God has a purpose for my pain. Notice as Paul unpacks this kind of chain reaction and domino effect. He says, we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. Now what is... What are all these things? And Endurance is is like, you can think of it just as a kind of resilience. It's a kind of focus. In other words, as things get difficult, as afflictions weigh you down, you actually gain a kind of clarity in life, a kind of focus in life. In other words, what actually is important becomes more clear to you, and it enables you to continue to walk, to continue to move forward. The domino effect doesn't stop there, though. He says it goes on, it continues to produce something else, a kind of proven character, which means it's been tested. You've been fortified. You've been forged by your afflictions. You become a different person, Paul says. And I know for us, as we walk through pain, as we walk through hardship, our natural questions are to say, well, where is God and why is this happening? And and those are fine questions. Those are okay to ask. But I would ask another question though too, and it's this. What is my hardship doing to me? What kind of person am I becoming through this difficulty? Because I would imagine at some point, like the vision of you, like 10 years from now, the vision of you that you just love to think about and celebrate and dream about, that vision of you is only accomplished as you deal with afflictions, as you deal with hardships. The path to that new you is going to be the path of pain. That's what it is. And our hope, though, what makes it possible for us to hope is that God's got a purpose in that. He's got a real purpose in that. And and I know even saying that, that feels so like Christian and so typical, like, oh my gosh, another day where I go to church and they tell me God's got a plan. But listen, I I wanna just offer you this, especially if you are really working through a, a hardship and like you are on your last, last nerve with this whole thing. And you almost now have kind of begun to have like an anger, maybe even a frustration towards God. I want to just offer this to you. If God is big enough for you to be upset about because of this situation, then he also must be big enough to have a reason for why he's doing this that is just outside of your understanding. Again, if he's big enough for you to think he can control it, then he's also got to be big enough to be doing something that maybe you can't possibly understand. We have got to imagine a God who is not predictable, a God who is hidden, a God who is mysterious. Because listen, as I kind of grow as a Christian, man, the, the truth is like the, the mysteries of life, the mysteries of faith, the mysteries of Christianity, they 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 make me actually less worried now, and they actually lead me to more worship. Because I would rather have a God that is unpredictable to me. Because I see over and over and over the predictions I come up with don't seem to work out. They're empty. Yes, there's a kind of a temporary set of control, but no, there is actually something freeing about the mystery through this, and you can worship God there, because he has a purpose for your pain. Notice what James says there in chapter 1, very similar to Paul's message. Consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, when you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Same language. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. The vision of who you want to be is going to come through this kind of hardship. In other words, in order to become who you want, you're going to have to go through what you don't want to. That's just the truth. That is what I would kind of refer to as this this painful beauty to life, where there's a hiddenness to God a hiddenness to what he's doing inside of me. And, and hope says that right now in this moment, though I can't feel it, I don't know exactly what's going on, God is turning me into someone that I long to be and that he longs for me to be too. And, and may his will be done. And, and what you can do in that moment is simply just to Surrender. Surrender. Wherever you're at, whether you're sitting, you're standing, man, just to to open your hands, to take a seat, to to inhale and exhale, and to surrender to the hidden work of God and to his purposes through your difficulties, through the things that are are just pressing you down, that are weighing you down. As we do this, it begins to, to lift us up. It makes it possible for us to hold together hope and hardship. Now, lastly, let's talk about why we need this kind of hope. Why do I need this kind of hope? It's because of this. All our other hopes, our hopes will disappoint us if it's not rooted in God's love. Notice what Paul says there in verse 5. This hope will not disappoint us because, why won't it disappoint us, Paul? Because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. By Paul admitting that hope disappoints us, he probably himself has experienced that too. In other words, there is a kind of hope. There are hopes in the world that leave us disappointed, that do not fulfill us. But he says, not so with this kind. Why? Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts. In other words, this is how we can define hope in light of what Paul is saying. Hope is a confident certainty in God's love. Now our problem where we go wrong is we, sw- we swap out God's love for our predictions. Hope is a confident certainty in my predictions, my kind of determined outcomes. And, and this is the problem for so many of us. We love control and we love to determine our outcomes. One pastor, Eugene Peterson says, the problem isn't so much with our hope, but with our planning. We rather would just settle for the things that we plan rather than the hope that God calls us to. But hope is a confident certainty in God's love. God's love. You should ask yourself right now, what, what would you rather rest your hope in, your predictions or love? What is your hope in right now? Is it in your predictions or is it in God's love? I think just not even as a pastor, but even as a Christian, man, something that I am lamenting that I'm just sad about over the course of this last year is how many of us as Christians can name off more conspiracy theories than we can the promises of God that are rooted in his love. It is terrifying to think about what we have placed our hope in. And that's what Paul is saying. Hope is not the problem. The problem is the object of our hope. What have you placed it in? Because if it's anything else other than God's love for you, it will disappoint you. You will be left empty. Listen to the psalmist who says, Here is the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches, taking refuge in his destructive behavior. But I am like a flourishing olive tree in the house of God. I trust in God's faithful love forever and ever. The psalmist says he's like an olive tree. I don't know if you guys have ever seen an olive tree. They're, they're all over the place. If you go to the Middle East, um, we actually just planted one in our house. It's the best looking tree in our front yard. And that's because I never water it and it still is okay. It has survived everything. And I loved it, man. When we bought it, we had like a little uh, planting ceremony for it at the house. We got around it. We held hands. We thanked God for the olive tree. We named it Selah. And, and it's a reminder to us. We did it. We named it Selah. And it's a reminder to us that God is at work even when things seem dry because the olive tree grows. That thing is resilient. It does not stop. And when you've seen a fully grown olive tree, that thing is is deep. It is unmovable. And the psalmist is saying, I am like that kind of tree because my hope is in God's faithful love and nothing else. Now listen, for some of us as Christians, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be real honest, we, we have hoped in things that sound good and that sound Christian, but ultimately are not rooted in love. Things like this. So, some of you thought that following Jesus would lead to a comfortable life, and it hasn't, and now you're upset. Maybe even as parents, you, you think like, man, if I just kind of adopt this biblical technique for my kids, then they're going to turn out amazing, or maybe as a single person, man, purity culture got the best of you, and you thought, well, as long as I just save myself, I'll for sure be married by like 21, 22, and that hasn't happened. The, and, and maybe it's just like, man, well, as long as I live like a pretty good moral life, like things should just go steady for me. And, and here's the thing, those things aren't necessarily bad. Many of those things are true, but they don't make space for the promise that Jesus gave to us that life comes with tribulations and it's hard that is the normal route but here's the beautiful thing because i don't want us to get down on ourselves our disappointments are actually our friends because our disappointments can reveal to us where our hope was and where it needs to be so as you experience these things as you go through these moments like man that was not what i hoped it to be it actually gives you an opportunity to turn and to once again rediscover your hope needs to rest in the love of God. And this becomes a kind of power because listen, God's promises of our future gives us a power for our present. You know, many of us think about promises and hope as something for the future, but it's something right now. Listen to Peter's words. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. A living hope something active and alive right now. Through, listen now, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last day. Notice what Peter is doing. He is connecting the past and the future to the present. He's saying we have a living hope because it's rooted in something that happened in the past, the resurrection of Jesus, and it's pointing us to an inheritance that we have kept by God in heaven for us, waiting to be revealed to us. Hope is not so much about the future as it is right now, the present. And hope is this kind of power and energy that actually connects the past and the future to you and I walking right now in the present. It's the present. You know, Marty McFly, man, he is who he is. Not just because he like, had a cool, like, wise teacher in doc, but it's because he learned something from the future and it actually gave him power in the present. That's what Peter is saying here. There's a discovery that you know is true in the future that actually is going to empower you right now in the present. That is why this hope is so much greater than everything else. And if you're wondering where that power comes from, It comes from us remembering the resurrection. Remembering the resurrection. Peter says, born again to a living hope through the resurrection, through it. We need the resurrection. And listen, whether you know it or not, you long for resurrection love to be true. One of the most human things about every single one of us is that we long to experience a love that never dies, never goes away. You know, I talked about Wanda Vision in the beginning, and there's this amazing scene between Wanda and her husband, Vision. And they're holding each other close, and Vision says to her in this, in this difficult moment, because we've said goodbye before, it stands to reason that we will say hello again. What, what was so moving to me, and I was crying watching that, is that Vision, whether he notices or not, he's talking about the resurrection. He says that we will say hello again. Whether you realize it or not, you were made for the resurrection. You were made to experience a love that gives you hope that will never, ever die. And today as Christians, this weekend marks Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday. It is for us a way to remember that this is the beginning of Jesus' final week before the crucifixion. And on this day in the life of Jesus, we're told that he rode into Jerusalem, the actual place where he would be crucified. He came in on a donkey, the king on a donkey. Imagine that. Powerful, demanding allegiance, but humble, loving, riding in on a donkey. Not a chariot, not with a sword, but humble on a donkey. And as he came in, we're told that his disciples in crowds praised him. They they shouted out to God, Hosanna, which means save us now, save us now, deliver us. They placed on Jesus these titles of king and savior, and Jesus knew that he was walking through something incredibly difficult, because this Palm Sunday, he knows, is going to end with Good Friday. It's going to end with Good Friday, where he would be betrayed by a friend, talk about hardship, where he would be placed under an unjust trial, An oppressive government would sentence him to death on a cross, a shameful act. He's walking through that. And Hebrews says that it was actually the joy, the joy before Jesus actually enabled him to endure the cross. The joy set before him. In other words, the things that Jesus was thinking about on Sunday enabled him to walk through the affliction of Friday. And that joy was you and I. That that, that, That joy was us knowing that we would experience his love and our hope would be changed forever. And you see, here's why that is so important, because it's one thing to believe in a God who says, listen, I'm God, you can trust me, I'm in control of your life, you can walk through affliction. You can walk through it. It's another thing to have a God who says, I love you, you can trust me, because I will walk through the affliction for you. Those are two different stories, and the gospel is a story about a God who walks through affliction and hardship for you, so you can trust his love. It's an afflicted love. It's a love that has beaten death for you. And that's what you and I need. And that's what we are invited in to experience as we come to trust in him. As we come to realize that, man, faith gives us enough space to have hope and hardship together. Because it is Palm Sunday, but there is another Sunday that we look forward to. And that is Resurrection Sunday. That is a day where we celebrate new life, new life that gives us hope, real hope for right now. You know, there's been this long-standing prayer uh, that many people have recited over the years. It's become well known as a prayer that people who are working through various addictions pray. It's the prayer of serenity, the serenity prayer. And I want us to actually close by praying that prayer because it is powerful, so many of the words. And many of us are familiar with the first part but we miss out on the beauty of the second as it actually empowers us to walk through in this life, holding both hope and hardship together. So you can close your eyes. You can actually extend your hands wherever you are at. I'm going to encourage you just to extend your hands and to have this prayer read over you as we close our time now. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And God, would you create in us this ability to hold hope and hardship together? Would you give us right now through your spirit the experience of peace with you, of grace and make us different people? people who can be calm in a world of chaos. What a gift for us to experience calmness with you so that we might have that for ourselves and give it away to those around us. Make us that kind of person, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.
0: Like Pastor Alfredo mentioned, we all need a real hope to cling to in the midst of hardship. So many people are walking through affliction right now and they're looking for a purpose. God promises that and more. Hey, this Easter, the day of resurrection, it's about experiencing something that we all long for, and that's a love that never dies. I want to encourage you to invite your friends and family into the hope that is found in the love of God, and Easter is the perfect time to do that. You can find our times and all of the info about Easter services at sandalschurch.com slash Easter. Alongside that, this Friday is Good Friday, which is a time where we pause to remember the death of Jesus. Last year, over 24,000 people joined together for Good Friday and really experienced grappling with the death of Jesus and the suffering that he did for us. And your giving made it possible for all of us to do that together. This year we'll be gathering at home again, so now's the perfect time to invite friends, family, small group to join you and watch the experience at sandalschurch.com slash goodfriday. For those of you that helped make experiences like this possible through your giving, thank you so much. Hey, if you want to be a part of giving and helping us connect with even more people this year, we would love to invite you to give right now at give.sc. Today kicks off what Christians historically call Holy Week. It's the week leading up to Easter, and this year we really want to intentionally prepare our hearts as best as we can. On Instagram this week, we will be having daily live conversations with some of our pastors and leaders as they explain answers to questions about some of these Christian traditions and stories. We'll be going live at different times throughout the week to connect with as many of you as possible, and we'll talk through questions like what does holy mean, what is Lent, what does the symbol of the cross mean, and even more. We really hope that you will join us on Instagram for these conversations as we anticipate Easter and all that we celebrate together that day. So for now, we're going to wrap up. Have an amazing week, and we can't wait to celebrate Easter with you and your friends next weekend. We'll see you later.